Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The Soundtrack Show will begin in 5, 4, 3. In 1990, after more than a decade of blockbuster film scores for action, adventure, and fantasy films, John Williams made a glorious return to comedy with a little holiday movie called Home Alone. This is The Soundtrack Show. simply my most favorite movie that I've photographed. It's very entertaining and it's very heartfelt. Of the 27 films that I've shot, it's my by far my most favorite film. Where I went to see what was described as a little Christmas film and I had no idea what to expect and I was enchanted. The genius of the script that John wrote is that he plays desire and fear beautifully like a little orchestra. Action. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is all about that Christmas classic, Home Alone, a film from 20th Century Fox, written by comedy legend John Hughes, directed by Chris Columbus, starring a young Macaulay Culkin, with a film score by John Williams. Now, we have a lot we can unpack here. A holiday movie, a comedy... A movie about an eight-year-old child home alone, you know, balancing that reality versus comedy. The nature of comedic film scores in the vein of Mickey Mousing and all the technical work that goes into it, you know, reminiscent of Carl Stallings' work with Warner Brothers, as well as William's own work in comedies in the 1960s. But we'll get to all of that. Above all, we need to talk about the music to Home Alone and how it serves this gem of a film that became a huge holiday hit. So I want to start with some background. John Hughes, who started as a comedic writer for National Lampoon, was already a very successful movie writer and director by the late 80s. There was the National Lampoon's Vacation series throughout the 80s, his huge directorial debut, 16 Candles, in 1984, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and more. All of these had solidified Hughes as 
the comedic voice of a generation. But Home Alone is by far his most successful film of all time, as it was the highest grossing movie of 1990 and spawned several successful sequels. But for John Hughes and for all of us, Home Alone is a little different than many of the films I just mentioned. How? Well, I guess there are a lot of ways, but most relevant to the soundtrack show is this. While this isn't a hard and fast rule with John Hughes' movies, stylistically, Hughes was known for, quote, needle-dropping popular music, or songs, into his movies, rather than using a traditional film score. There are exceptions, of course, but the music that Hughes chose for his biggest 80s films are as iconic as the films themselves. So how did Williams end up on a movie like Home Alone, which is, of course, very different? Enter director Chris Columbus. A writer himself, Columbus's stock was on the rise throughout the 1980s, having sold Gremlins, the screenplay, to Steven Spielberg, and then joining Amblin as a writer, where he wrote both The Goonies and Young Sherlock Holmes. By 1987, he'd had his directorial debut with a comedy called Adventures in Babysitting, starring Elizabeth Shue, film score by Michael Kamen, maybe a different episode. And this caught the attention of John Hughes, who offered Columbus a chance to direct a holiday movie. That movie was, of course, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Wait, what? Yes! First, that holiday movie. Though Columbus directing Christmas Vacation didn't quite work out. He left the project before the first day of shooting even began, citing a personality clash with the movie star, Chevy Chase. But that, too, is a story for another day. I love that movie and its wacky score. But the following year, after Christmas Vacation, Hughes offered Columbus the chance to direct a different holiday movie, Home Alone. Hughes himself was about to embark on a movie-producing blitz, with a whopping four movies all debuting the following year, 1991, Career Opportunities, Only the Lonely, Dutch, and Curly Sue. So Hughes was most likely just too busy at the time to direct his screenplay. Well, this is key to the musical score that we eventually got. Because Hughes had total faith in Chris Columbus. So he left the musical choices to him as well, saying that Columbus can do whatever he felt was right. So Chris Columbus decided to pursue a mix of a classical Christmas score in the vein of Sergei Prokofiev with traditional and popular holiday songs. His first choice as a composer? Not John Williams. Hard to imagine nowadays, of course, because we're so familiar with his famous score, but the concept of a movie like Home Alone back in 1989 or 1990 just didn't scream John Williams to the average person working in the movie business. At the time... Williams was winding down a Hollywood hot streak to end all hot streaks. Even though he was about to have another one in the 90s, we didn't know that at the time. But in the 70s and 80s, he had provided scores for two Jaws films, three Star Wars films, E.T., three Indiana Jones films, two Superman movies. You get the point. 
But he had also done some dramas throughout the 80s, like Stanley and Iris, Heartbeats, etc., and some comedies like The Witches of Eastwick in 1987 and the not-so-successful 1941 for Spielberg back in 1979. Amazing score, but not well-received. Certainly, these kinds of movies, and even some of the more claimed movies like Empire of the Sun, were not as overwhelmingly famous or associated with John Williams as something like Star Wars. So, perhaps this is one of the reasons why, historically, Williams was not slated to write music for Home Alone at that time. They probably didn't think they could get him, or that he'd be interested. Chris Columbus instead pursued composer Bruce Broughton, who had done wonderful work on a movie that Columbus had written, the previously mentioned young Sherlock Holmes, in 1985. Quick sidebar, that movie, Young Sherlock Holmes, is of great historical significance in the movie industry as it contains the first ever computer-generated animated character in a movie. It was created by ILM. But I digress. Back to the music. Broughton was set to write the score for Home Alone, but as oftentimes happens in Hollywood, the scheduling with a previous commitment made the timing impossible for Broughton to take on the project. Here is a quote from the La La Land Records 25th anniversary soundtrack release, of Home Alone, which includes excellent liner notes by Mike Mattesino. Quote, For the score to Home Alone, Columbus initially approached Bruce Broughton because he'd been impressed with the score for young Sherlock Holmes. Broughton was contracted and was part of the package when Fox picked up the project. His credit appeared in the initial teaser trailer prepared when the film was completed in midsummer 1990. But shortly after that, Broughton encountered a conflict with Disney's The Rescuers Down Under, to which he'd previously committed. Broughton later scored the Hughes-produced Miracle on 34th Street and Baby's Day Out. We went to John Williams thinking he'll never do a film like this, Columbus explained in a 2007 DVD commentary. But he saw the film, loved it, and decided to do it. On July 19th, Williams told Richard Dreyer of the Boston Globe that he had no film commitments. Quote, I've passed on a couple of things. I'm still looking for the right project at the right time. End quote. He found it when he returned to California in August and attended a Home Alone screening arranged for the staff of Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, where Columbus had been based a few years earlier and where Williams had recently moved his office. I didn't want to do a picture right now, he told Dyer on October 7th. I've been working on a clarinet concerto, but a friend talked me into going to a screening and I just went dippy over the movie. It gave me the same feeling as E.T., although it's a small picture without the physical scope. I think the public is going to go crazy for this. End quote. This initial enthusiasm is confirmed by Armin Steiner, the Fox-based mixing engineer who had recorded William's recent Space Camp, The Witches of Eastwick, and Born on the Fourth of July. Steiner says, quote, I was working on a television show at the time, and John came barging into the control room, which he never does, and said, I've just seen a film that's going to be a huge, huge hit. Usually he doesn't get that excited after a first screening, but he sure as hell did on this. He knew more than anybody what potential this film had. While the filmmakers were on the verge of selecting another composer to replace Broughton, Williams' desire to do Home Alone closed the case. Executive producer Tarquin Gotch music supervisor on previous Hughes productions, responsible for finding and securing the use of existing songs, reflects that, quote, when John saw the film and said yes, 
everybody just felt that it said so much about the quality of the comedy and the film. It sent a huge message to the industry that this isn't just another comedy, end quote. Williams signed on August 16th and began composing right after his Labor Day weekend Hollywood Bowl concerts. I think what happened with this film is, is something that doesn't happen often. You have a good story, and then you have a good performance, and then the next layer is you have interesting way of presenting the story, you know, with the photography, uh, with the sets. It, it was like a, a layer cake that just got better and better, and then you get one of the best music people in the world to score it. There was another composer who was originally scheduled to do the picture and his schedule all of a sudden didn't work out, which is like one of those accidents where, you know, like getting Joe or certain other things, you know, the a puzzle piece flips away and a better puzzle piece falls into place and John Williams came on board. Sometimes people make associations with composers, for example, in my case, and the budgets of film. They may not ask me to do a film if the budget isn't big or they or may want someone else to do it because it is small. Actually, from my point of view, I've never really cared about that. It's, all, it, it's, it's more uh, a visceral thing, the kind of reaction that one has to the material that, that is irrelevant to the cost of it, really, and the size of it and the scale of the production. So I was delighted to be asked to, to do the film. John Williams and I have done five or six pictures together, and uh, he has truly uh, just taken my films and just given them new life. And uh, he's honestly, I think, the greatest living composer. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the soundtrack show. The music of Home Alone is technically complex, yes, but we're going to touch on all of the elements that make it work. Talk about the mischief in the music, the humor, the elements of the supernatural, hints of danger and fear, and most importantly, its holiday warmth and charm. One of the biggest ways Williams works in Home Alone to achieve all of these things is through use of leitmotifs. A small handful of leitmotifs make up the framework of Home Alone's score, and two of those leitmotifs were dominant enough to be turned into full-blown songs. Williams, after writing two of the film's main melodies, contacted longtime collaborator and lyricist Leslie Bercuse of Willy Wonka fame, who he'd collaborated with previously on Goodbye Mr. Chips and a few other things like Can You Read My Mind from Superman. For more on that collaboration, please check out my four-part series on Superman the movie. But as I was saying, Williams and Bercuse collaborated on two big themes and turned them into songs in this movie, one of which is called Star of Bethlehem, which we'll get to in a bit. But we just can't talk about Home Alone without starting by exploring its main musical theme, a song called Somewhere in My Memory. Thank you. 
really sweet melody with nostalgic lyrics that seem to capture childlike wonder, as well as the warmth of the holiday season. Beautifully written and perfect for Home Alone. But why? Why is this? Why does it feel so perfect? Well, okay, let's set aside the lyrics and just ask, why is this melody so perfect for a movie about an eight-year-old boy at Christmas? What is it about its construction that captures the essence of Kevin McAllister as he finds himself home alone during the holiday season, missing his family? Let's break down just a bit of this melody. Because within this melody are weaved a couple of cues that feed on our subconscious minds. And it works wonders on our mental and emotional framework while we watch this movie. It quickly endears us to Kevin, our young protagonist. First, the melody begins with this phrase. We're in the key of C. I'm just going to talk about that much of it. I'm not going to go any further for now. Just that much of it. Because Williams knows exactly what he's doing just in the first four notes. These right here. This interval, called a minor third over this note... That's our key center, or our tonic. This interval represents a rocking back and forth between the fifth note in our major scale setting and the third note of our major scale setting, spelling out a major chord. Historically, one of the simplest and most common chords in Western music. A happy chord that creates generally uplifting and positive feelings. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is that this very same interval is, without a doubt, the most common and most popular interval in all of children's music for more than a century. We call them soul me songs, based on their solfege notes or scale degrees. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, sol, mi. Sol mi, sol mi, sol mi, do sol, re la sol, do fa mi, re. That's called solfege. Anyway, these two notes are in countless children's songs, and they're almost always repeated twice in a row, like this. Let me give you a few examples. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. This old man, he played one. Rain, rain, go away. Na, 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 na. One, two, buckle my shoe. Ring around the rosies. It's raining, it's pouring. Or sometimes in reverse, like Brahms' lullaby. Lullaby, lullaby. Anyway, you get the point. Now, why is this so common? Some experts in early childhood development maintain that it's one of the first intervals that, universally, children are able to intonate or communicate with during play. That it's just a natural interval for kids. While others maintain that that's not true, it's just that it's a very, very popular interval that happens to be easy to teach. Regardless, anyone working in childhood education is more than familiar with this interval. These songs are still used in childhood games, sing-alongs, music lessons, and more. 
The point? John Williams uses this interval to quickly establish his melody before his melodic storytelling moves us elsewhere. Now, does our conscious mind pick up on all of this? Well, I mean, if you're a musician and you're intently focusing on it, possibly. Does our subconscious mind pick up on this? Undoubtedly. Either way, after pointing it out, you'll always hear it. You're welcome, and I'm sorry. But hey, that's just where the melody starts. Quick side note, Williams would use this melody again to evoke childhood within just a year's time from writing Home Alone in his amazing score for Spielberg's Hook. Okay, I think we get the point. So, let's take a look at the second phrase. What's so remarkable about that? Hmm. Well, I guess we need to dig into a comment that I made earlier about the filmmaker's desire, Chris Columbus's desire, to have a Christmassy Prokofiev-like score. Here's another quote from Mike Matticino's soundtrack liner notes. Quote, They wanted a Prokofiev-like score, and that's what they told Williams. And of course, that's right up his alley. He's a total master. But there was another level to his work on this. He was so enthralled by it that he went back and had a second spotting session, which he never does. In an interview for Soundtrack magazine, Williams articulated on the mythic elements he detected in the picture. There are ingredients in there that are certainly very solid for American audiences, and I gather for European audiences as well about Christmas, about childhood, aspects of family life, the holidays, even strains of Charles Dickens, of the little chap being on the outside and looking in, the separation between the haves and the have-nots, a kind of comforting nostalgia. Whether it's accurate or not, it's something that speaks to everyone, sentimental certainly, but in a good way, I think, end quote. Clearly he's speaking about somewhere in my memory here, But I want to talk about that Prokofiev comment that was made. Again, for those of us who don't know, there are a few very influential Russian composers that are responsible for much of the orchestral textures and melodic orchestrations that are in classic and neoclassic film scores. First, there's 19th century composer Peter Tchaikovsky, who we will discuss in great detail later. And then there are two early 20th century composers, Dmitry Shostakovich and Sergei Prokofiev. And beyond symphonies and orchestral works meant for the concert hall, both of those 20th century composers actually got to try their hand at early film scoring. First Shostakovich, and then Prokofiev. And relevant to this conversation, and this John Williams' Home Alone melody, is the music that Prokofiev wrote for an early Russian sound picture from 1934 called Lieutenant Kijay. After the movie was completed, Prokofiev adapted the music that he wrote for the movie into a five-part orchestral suite, which has been part of the classical orchestral repertoire in concert halls all over the world ever since, parts of it particularly during the holidays. Now, there are several famous melodies from this piece that I wish we had time to get into, but the one melody and movement that we need to talk about as it relates to Home Alone is called Troika. Troika is Russian for a sled, 
drawn by three horses, or I guess you could call it a three-horse open sleigh. Another name for this movement, then, would be called Sleigh Ride, not the one written for the Boston Pops in the 1940s. But its predecessor. Let's listen to Troika by Prokofiev, and let's try and focus on two things as we listen. First is the percussion, such as sleigh bells, that really give us a sense of speed and movement through the snow, along with pizzicato or hand-plucked high strings. You'll notice in any sort of holiday score or Christmas arrangement, sleigh bells are a must. Troika is a huge part of that. But most importantly, to Home Alone and Somewhere in My Memory, let's listen to the main melody, which comes in on the low strings in a lower-pitched register that may sound familiar to you. Here comes the melody. Did you hear that melody? Particularly this part. So when tasked with writing a Prokofiev score, there's little doubt in my mind that Williams went straight to the source and synthesized this piece to evoke a Christmas journey. I guess we should mention another melody from Lieutenant KJ, and that's the melody for Lieutenant KJ himself. His leitmotif spends a lot of time rocking back and forth between these two notes, such as. So you put it all together, and you have constructed a Christmas or wintered flavored journey for a young child. Slow it down, a la Brahms Lullaby, only in reverse, and we have Somewhere in My Memory. The third phrase of the melody repeats the first. And then the fourth phrase of the melody, most notably twice as fast rhythmically to give the piece of movement, we hear a couple of jumps or bumps. First up here, in that triad, and then down here, spelling out two childlike triads. And then rounding out the last phrase is a preparation for a cadence or a section ending or resolution. So all of that happens in the main melody before it moves into just pure Williams development right here. We have a major third. And a classic Williams melodic ascension begins, building the idea. 
goes minor or sad here, before peeking at another cadence, returning us to the strength of the main melody. The melody itself is the hero's journey, another example of great musical storytelling, synthesizing all of the elements to tailor-make a melody for this cinematic experience. The plot of Home Alone begins with a young boy's wish. In his frustration of being small and lost in a big family, he just wants everyone to go away. He gets his wish, only to realize that he loves and misses his family. This is the core emotion that somewhere in my memory conjures within us. A longing for home, for family, for innocence, for love. The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. This film had a lot of heart to it as well, particularly the scenes in the church, and he gave it just a big Christmassy feel, which was one of the real things that John Hughes was trying to do, was to deliver a Christmas film. At Christmas, you sit, and it's always the same films being shown endlessly. Um, it's, it's a Wonderful Life and, well, you know, more 34th Street, well, he remade that for that very reason. So he's, he had his eye on that market, and John Williams really helped us hit that mark. There's a ton of Christmas music that we can talk about that is featured in Home Alone. But as I mentioned, Williams and lyricist Leslie Bercuse penned two of their own carols. The first was Somewhere in My Memory, as discussed, the second is a song called Star of Bethlehem. The version that we just heard is how it appears when fully presented late in the movie. In fact, both this song and Somewhere in My Memory are fully stated in the back half of Home Alone. But when you do hear them in their full glory, that is far from the first time we heard each of those melodies. In the case of Somewhere in My Memory, it's actually the first thing we hear after the 20th Century Fox fanfare at the top of the movie. a fragment that will pay off emotionally later. This is a classic Williams technique, giving us fragments of a melody, setting us up for an emotional payoff later, even at a subconscious level. In the case of Star of Bethlehem, let's again work in reverse. Kevin hears the full version on Christmas Eve as he sits, alone, in a local church, 
listening to a kid's choir rehearse for their big concert that night. His isolation and loneliness is palpable. We hear Oh Holy Night and other familiar holiday melodies. But as Kevin looks around the church, he catches the eye of Old Man Marley, a subplot of childlike terror that runs all the way through the movie. But Kevin soon learns, as Marley approaches him, that he is not the, quote, South Bend shovel slayer who lives next door, as his older brother Buzz scared him into believing, but is himself a lonely, isolated old man who is at the church to listen to his granddaughter sing in rehearsal. He can't go to the main concert because he's not invited. Like Kevin, he's home alone. So as this revelation occurs, and as the two talk, we finally hear Star of Bethlehem fully presented. But it's not, as I said, the first time that this melody has been given to us. Like somewhere in my memory, we've heard fragments of it all throughout the movie. And usually, when old man Marley enters the scene. In a way, Star of Bethlehem is about Christmas, yes, but it seems to also be about the misunderstood Mr. Marley. I love that his name is Marley, by the way. How Dickensian is that? The first time we hear a fragment of this melody, Star of Bethlehem, is when we first see Marley, all the way back at the top of the movie. Of course, through the eyes of children, as Buzz describes the South Bend shovel slayer and his alleged murders. Check it out, old man Marley. We hear a weary version of Star of Bethlehem right here. Who's he? You ever heard of South Bend shovel slayer? There it is. No. That's him. Back in 58, murdered his whole family and half the people on his block. With the snow shovel. Been hiding out in this neighborhood ever since. The bit in question that Williams uses as a motif is just that opening phrase. Well, if he's a shovel slayer, how come the cops don't arrest him? Not enough evidence to convict. Here it is again. They never found the bodies. But everyone around here knows he did it. Now it'll just be a matter of time before he does it again. What's he doing now? He walks up and down the streets every night, salting the sidewalks. Maybe he's just trying to be nice. No way. See that garbage can full of salt? That's where he keeps his victims. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. Wow. Later, when Kevin runs into Marley outside in the middle of the movie, we hear fragments of it again. This is ridiculous. Only a wimp would be hiding under a bed. And I can't be a wimp. I'm the man of the house. Hey! I'm not afraid anymore! I said I'm not afraid anymore! Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore! Even later, when Kevin runs into Marley at the grocery store, we hear it yet again. Is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? Well, I don't know. It doesn't say, hon. Can you please find out? Herb? Yeah? I've got a question here about a toothbrush. Yeah. 
know, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, but guess what else we hear besides Star of Bethlehem? Many of you know what's coming. We hear an ancient melody for death. A four-note phrase called Dies Irae. Day of Wrath, Judgment Day. From the old plain chant from centuries ago, quoted by countless composers, including Williams, to signify death musically. For more on the history of Dies Irae, please check out my soundtrack show episode called Doom and Gloom, Music Has a Word for Death. But here, in Home Alone, we hear bells caroling out the Dies Irae, death itself, on a scary close-up of the so-called Shovel Slayer. We hear this just after Star of Bethlehem. The salt turns the bodies into mummies. We hear DS Erie again when Kevin goes screaming into the house. Once again, right after Star of Bethlehem. Hey, I'm not afraid anymore. I said I'm not afraid anymore. Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. We hear it again when Kevin's at the drugstore, and yet again right after Star of Bethlehem. Finally, we hear Dies Irae in full glory in the church right after, you guessed it, Star of Bethlehem. This time, we hear it as an arrangement of the old Ukrainian folk song called Carol of the Bells, the main melody of which is made up of the Dies Irae entirely in three-quarter time. Now, the history of Carol of the Bells goes back into folklore, with unclear origins as far as I can tell in terms of how the melody was sourced, who wrote it. So it may or may not be coincidence that it's based completely around the Dies Irae. But its modern cultural meaning most likely is around Dies Irae. I mean, the holiday season itself is right around the winter solstice, when our planet is the darkest in the Northern Hemisphere, which is why many cultures around the world celebrate with a festival of lights around this time. It's about beating off darkness as nature goes through its cyclical death before it springs to life again in the new year. Carol of the Bells certainly has that minor key Dies Irae feel to it, a sort of beauty in the wintry darkness. It's one of the elements I love about holiday music. Williams is dramatically playing up this Dies Irae association with Carol of the Bells, using it as the perfect signature for the Shovel Slayer 
throughout the movie, but then also using the choir at the church to alter the identity of Old Man Marley. Suddenly, Star of Bethlehem becomes a carol about familial love as Marley listens to his granddaughter sing. It's no longer associated with the Shovel Slayer as it has been. And the Diasire? It also transforms. When Carol of the Bells plays at the end of this scene, it turns into a cue for Kevin to leave quickly and protect his family's home. Here's this episode's final quote from Mike Mattesino. Quote, Marley and Kevin conclude their chat as the choir begins rehearsing Carol of the Bells, which features four repeating ostinato notes as a descending carillon and is sung in counterpoint. Originating as a pagan New Year chant, the Ukrainian carol was turned into a choral miniature by composer Mikola Leontovich in 1916 and adapted to familiar form by Peter Wilhowski five years later. Its appearance in the Home Alone score transcends the diegesis, with Williams cleverly using it to reflect Kevin's new perception of Marley by revealing that the threatening Dies Irae motif was, in fact, the first notes of the joyous carol all along. Kevin runs home from the church and begins setting the trap, that's the name of this cue we're listening to, for the returning burglars. The montage is scored with a fugue with backbeat, spinning off Carol of the Bells and based on Star of Bethlehem. This is the one cue in which the synthesizer elements were programmed in advance, the orchestra synchronizing with the track laid down at the end of the previous day. Scale-climbing woodwind phrase catches shots of the still-on-the-loose tarantula. While sleigh bells and glockenspiel in the percussion section maintain the holiday atmosphere. End quote. Bethlehem and Carol of the Bells have turned Dies Irae into something else. Clarity. Kevin knows his purpose now, and after all of the soul-searching, the musical and character-driven transformations, the dramatic yet zany show-stopping finale begins. On the next episode of The Soundtrack Show, we'll go through the finer points of the movie, looking at how the music functions through some of the funnier moments in very clever ways. We'll talk about diegetic music or source music and some song score moments and discover why Home Alone and its music are solid holiday classics. Thank you. The 
The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.